after 609 podcasts, you think that Rob would know what time we're on. I have a dream. This nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created. The BBC is interrupting to bring you an important announcement. Buckingham Palace has announced the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Democracy simply doesn't work. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It's the Ricochet Podcast with Rob Long. Peter Robinson has gone this week, but Charles C.W. Cook is sitting in for him. I'm James Lonnex, and we speak to Toby Young in England about the Queen. Let's have ourselves a podcast. I can hear you! Welcome, everybody. It's the Ricochet Podcast, number 609. Won't you join us at ricochet.com? By the way, you can be part of the most interesting conversations and community on the web. What do you mean by join? Oh, go there. Find out. Find the member side. Find the place on the internet you've been looking for all of your days. It's waiting at ricochet.com. I'm James Lilacs in suddenly cold Minnesota. Charles C.W. Cook is sitting in for Peter Robinson. Charlie is in the free state of Florida. And Rob Long, we don't know where he is, but we presume he's back in his uh, home base of Gotham. Rob, is that correct? That is, that is, in fact, correct. There we are. Well, of course, the news is something that wants us to speak to an Englishman, um, Toby Young. <laughs> Toby's the founder and director of the Free Speech Union and associate editor of The Spectator. More importantly, he's co-host of Ricochet's London Calling podcast. Uh, since we're pretty sure he's an Englishman, uh, we wanted to bring him on to join Charlie to talk about the Queen. Toby, thanks for joining us today. I was driving through the middle of Minnesota in the middle of the North American continent when my wife, my daughter sent me a text that said the queen is dead. And since my car is set to read Siri voices in an Irish accent, I had the sort of voice of an Irish servant girl <laughs> saying the queen is dead all of a sudden coming from my speakers. I learned it before I learned it from the BBC World Service. Where were you when you found out and how did you feel? Well, I was in a restaurant in Piccadilly called the Woolsey, um, and uh, an nice. elderly woman um, sitting nearby uh, leaned over and touched my arm and said, the Queen is dead. And so that's how I first heard. And it was a very unusual thing to happen. I mean, as you know, English people are very reserved and mm. we don't normally talk to strangers. So I think it was... Um, significant it was uh, symbolic of how impactful the event was that a total stranger touched me on the arm to tell me <laughs> interestingly um uh, the rumor was that the queen had actually died much earlier in the day but the family had kept a news blackout because they didn't want any of the grandkids or the great-grandkids, to learn about it while still at school. They wanted to tell them in person, so they waited for them to be with their parents or gathered at Balmor Balmoral before they, before they announced the news. No worries about swordplay clashing in the back halls as they vie and fight for power. No, it was not very civilized at these days. <laughs> I think the succession was pretty pretty well established. <laughs> yeah. He's the only 73-year-old who's beginning his first job, King Charles III. It's hard to remember to say King Charles III, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's going mean, to be it's, the strangest it's, it's thing bizarre. in the world. We, we, have to, we now have to sing um, God Save the King instead of God Save the right. Queen, which has been our national anthem for more than 70 years. Um, his head is going to start appearing on banknotes and stamps. Um, and one interesting factoid I discovered today is that um, if you're a very senior lawyer in the UK, you get the um, uh, you get the appendix QC added to your name. It means oh, Queen's right. Council. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a badge of honour. That, that, that all changed today to Casey. Well, at least, <laughs> R at least RMS for the ships will stay the same. That's true. Uh, so, um, you know, Charlie, jump in. I don't. I don't know whether you consider yourself still a, a subject of the crown. I don't. I don't quite know what your citizen stat status is, Charlie. To be quite honest, I'm trying to be very polite, but I'm asking you, what kind of what kind of American are you? Are you a? <laughs> I still have my British citizenship. If that's what you're asking, that's kind of what I was asking. I don't want to. Yeah. Are you asking? I'm not, if no I judgment have, here. I have dual or even divided loyalties. Is that where we're going? With this? <laughs> well, yes. I would imagine. I would imagine you do have at least some divided loyalties. Uh, so uh, you know, as as you know, I'm a a proud American. Um, she was a remarkable woman, and I mean, to take nothing away from her enormous accomplishment. I mean, longest longest reigning 
British sovereign wore the uniform um, in the armed forces. It was uh, instrumental in holding the country together during the World War II. It does feel like we're all going to have to get used to something a lot less dignified and maybe impressive in the in her successor. Am I being... Am, Am I being unfair? I mean, or Toby, you're on the ground in London. Is that is anybody nervous about the fact that this sort of this seems a little baddie sometimes? This guy is now going to be the king. What's he done? Am I missing he, something? Am I, I being mean, unkind? He's had a you know a tough gig because he's been preparing for this job all his life, and he's finally um, going to do it when most people have retired. Um, and uh, but I, I think he, he clearly doesn't command the affection, the respect that the Queen did. Um, he's not nearly doesn't seem being regal. Um, the ceremonial right. aspects of the job don't seem to to come as naturally to him. Um, he seems to want to um, uh, interfere in politics much more than she did, particularly on you know climate change issues, but other issues too. Um, and you know he's a slightly awkward, prickly kind of difficult fellow. Um, and so I, I guess a lot of people are speculating. You know what will this mean for the future of the monarchy? What will this mean for the future of the Union, the Commonwealth? You know she was the linchpin that um, held all those institutions together. Um, right. So there's some speculation about whether he'll be able to, you know, fulfill that role as effectively as she did. And particularly, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you can imagine Nicola Sturgeon after a few days have passed kind of using this as an excuse to resurrect the I mean, she doesn't need much of an excuse she, she does it all the time but to, to to start petitioning for another independence referendum you can imagine some you know um republicans in commonwealth countries like australia and canada using this as a pretext to have a de you know renew the debate about whether to break away and leave the commonwealth so uh, you know there's quite a lot of i think concern that people will use this as as a way to bash britain as a way to diminish our importance and you know you can already see that the new york times ran a piece uh this morning um saying you know mourn the queen but not her empire um and right, uh right, there was i think right. the atlantic and new york magazine they've all been piling in across twitter the woke left have been kind of you know you know they they, they never miss an opportunity <laughs> to um to to pile on and criticize you know uh, colonialist britain uh, the british empire britain's history a litany of right. oppression and right. expropriation right. And, and the rest of it so you can see this sort of suddenly this is going to become a kind of great pretext for for running down britain and for breaking up britain and for breaking up the commonwealth so i think it's you know a source of some anxiety here that she's gone and we see our enemies massing at the gates to try and take advantage of this moment of vulnerability well i mean is there do they have a point i'm just i'm i'm you know i'm i'm, I'm well Respectfully, uh, yeah, they, 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 it, it seemed like when you have the queen there, you could always say, "Well, she's the queen. Look at her; she's been great." You know, no, 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 nothing wrong when, when it's personified in the character of Queen Elizabeth II or Queen Elizabeth the Great, as uh, Boris Johnson dubbed her in Parliament. Um, it seemed harder to be mean, but once she's gone, and you're really looking at a kind of a, you know, a an also ran cast, you know, kind of the B list. Let's be honest. Um, The, the institution took so I guess what I mean to say is the institution has taken so many slaps in the past few decades um, that it, it seemed to be running only on the fumes of one person alone, one sort of, you know, irreproachable figure. And when that figure is gone, isn't it natural that people start thinking like, well, if it weren't for her, I mean, they broke a lot of precedents in the past 20, 30 years. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, in a way, that's uh, a drawback of her having reigned for so long and lived so long. Um, the institution has become kind of inextricably bound up with her. And now she's mm -hmm. gone. People think, well, can the institution survive? But, you know, a constitutional monarchy uh, shouldn't be contingent um, on who the monarch is. Um, there should be a seamless transition. And, you know, Charles became the king the moment she died and he will be, you know, crowned after her funeral. Um, and uh, in theory, at least, you know, the institution should endure 
and she's done quite a lot to you know retain the respect of the British people for not just her but also for the institution and I think um, the monarchy has an asset in the form of William and his wife Kate um, mm-hmm. and I think that Charles will do his best to mitigate any um, uh, fall in the popularity of the institution when he becomes king by bringing William in as closely as possible and handing over some ceremonial duties to him and doing a kind of job share with a much more popular kind of uh, member of the family who has the magic that he lacks. Well, you know, as far as Charles being on the money, though, it's sort of interesting when you think, okay, has this guy actually ever carried around money in his pocket ever? I mean, he's, everything's paid for. He, who's going to go up to the king and say, uh, or, you know, the prince and say, you know, that'll be five quid. No, I mean, somebody probably handles that for him. But yet his face is going to go on the money. Has he ever handled finances? You know, you, you wonder exactly. They probably got people for that as well. You are not the king. You are not a prince. You got to worry about your finances. And, you know, you pay hundreds of dollars to protect your home, your car, and even your phones. But too many of us are not taking steps enough to protect our families' finances. Mortgage payments, private student loans, other types of debt. They don't just disappear if something happens to you. No. Life insurance policy can provide your loved ones with a financial cushion they can use to cover those costs. And it can provide you with peace of mind. In, you know, in the worst-case scenario, they'll be protected. By making it easy to compare your options from top companies, Policy Genius. Policy Genius can help you make sure you're not paying a cent more than you have to for the life coverage you need. Policy Genius is an insurance marketplace, makes it easy to compare quotes from top companies like AIG and Prudential in one place, and then find your lowest price on life insurance. You could save 50% or more on insurance by comparing quotes at Policy Genius. Options start at just $17 per month for $500,000 of coverage. Just click the link in the description or, uh, you know, when you hear Ricochet, if you're reading this, there's going to be a little link. Or just go to policygenius.com, frankly, and you can get personalized quotes in minutes and find the right policy for your needs. The licensed agents at Policy Genius work for you, not the insurance companies. They're on hand throughout the entire process to help you understand your options so you can make decisions with confidence. Policy Genius has helped over 30 million people shop for insurance and placed over $150 billion in coverage. So head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes free and see how much you could save. We thank Policy Genius for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. Charlie, down down in Florida, did anybody, did any American, you know, touch your arm and say, so sorry for your loss? Well, not that, no, but... I saw it that happen been... in New York, by the way. It wasn't a joke. I heard that, that no, happened in New York City It's been an enormous story here and, and in the rest of the United States. I, I think the, the last time I can remember such a blanket uh, alteration in people's behavior was after 9-11. I ordered a new iPhone this morning. I haven't had one for a few years. And the entire Apple website's taken over by a picture of Queen Elizabeth on the front page. Last night, I watched <laughs> wow. the New York Yankees game, and they had a moment's silence. They put Queen Elizabeth II's picture up oh, on man. the scoreboard. I mean, across the We at the Frito-Lay Corporation. No, that's Sendo. actually what happened. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was a, a tweet from Domino's Pizza UK, right. which yeah. was fairly amusing, uh, <laughs> marking her departure. Uh I uh, I just want to second something um, Toby said. I I think there will be people who push at this moment uh, to change the British system because Queen Elizabeth is gone. Uh, but I don't think it would be a good idea because the Westminster system of government is inextricable in its present form from the monarchy. And whether you think that's a good thing or not, as you know, I have a great love of the American system. I don't want to import the British system into the United States. I am a fan of the American Revolution. But whether you think it's a good idea or not, it's really difficult to change the British system in a way that would be palatable to the British. And we saw this in Australia. Yes, in Australia, there's a lot going on. Many people there ask, well, why do we have a head of state who lives in London? Uh, The demographics have changed a great deal in Australia, such that not everyone who lives there now comes from British stock. Um, Whereas in Canada, the monarchy is very popular. But the the questions that were thrown up in Australia in the late 1990s actually were almost impossible to answer. And I think that's why they didn't get rid of the monarchy. What do we put in the monarchy's place? Do we put an elected head of state? 
If so, what power does the elected head of state have? How does that affect the prime minister? Uh, which person is more right. democratically authentic? Is it, say, the current prime minister, Liz Truss, who was actually never elected by the people, her party was, and then she was elected by the party, or the head of state who presumably would be directly elected? And the Australians didn't want to... Uh, answer those questions. And uh, I think they worried quite rightly uh, about having a system, say, like France. And the British, I suspect, don't either. Um, so insofar as this leads to smaller Republican sentiment, I I'm really not convinced that it will or, or should go anywhere, um, because the, the monarchy works. And I think people mm -hmm. grasp that. Yeah, and I think it's, um, you know, it's difficult to imagine um, the British Prime Minister or the House of Commons deciding to abolish the monarchy and shift to a presidential system in which power is divided between the presidential palace and the House of Commons, between the president and the prime minister, right. because that would inevitably involve a dilution of power in the House of Commons and the prime minister, and no politician wants to voluntarily relinquish right. powers. Like it does sound like France, you know, he's trying to describe France. Um, so I, I just one more sort of larger question, then I want to get sort of to the series of really, really grubby, crass, tacky questions about power and what happens next. But, but the, the high, the high, highbrow question is this: that have you found? I mean, I knew when when Diana died, when Diana, when the Princess of Wales died, I I could instantly tell which of my English friends or British friends in general were sort of um, aristocrats and which weren't. Because the ones who weren't said things like, oh, it was a tragedy. She's the people's princess. What a, what a great tragedy. The ones who were said, oh, God, thank God she's dead. She was mad as a brush. <laughs> I, could always, I could always tell. Like, I, I didn't know. They kind of came out of the closet that day. Um, have you been surprised at the people who seemed genuinely moved by her death, who you thought maybe were a little bit wobbly in the monarchy department or, or the other way? People who you thought, well, good Lord, that's an incredibly brutal thing to say about the royal yeah, well, actually, funnily enough, um, I went and saw um, Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle on Sunday night at the O2 Arena in London, and they had a warm-up guy uh, who um, made an unbelievable, did an unbelievably crude bit about the Queen and the late Prince Philip uh, making love. And even though I went to see these two comedians because I love the fact that they're so irreverent, that nothing's out of bounds, that they're politically incorrect, they're anti-woke. I suddenly found myself being deeply offended and feeling affronted <laughs> by this warm-up man. And, yeah, and, I, and not only did I find what he was saying he was English, though, right? He was American. He was American. Oh, he's American. Um, that made oh, it much okay. worse. And um, and uh, and uh, uh, it was as though he was trespassing on, you know. Um, uh, yeah. and, and, and I think most people there knew that that she was on our, you know, on her way out. Um, uh, but but the thing which really really annoyed me is that everyone started laughing, you know, uh, in the audience. The British people in the audience found this bit hilarious you know and, and 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 i felt exactly like you know a member of the lgbtq community must feel when you know um dave Chappelle makes a joke about trans people doesn't just object to the joke but really objects to the fact that other people find it funny i suddenly found what it was like <laughs> to be a member of this kind of offended class. <laughs> yeah but i think i think generally um so i was rather surprised by how offensive i found that bit but i think people have have surprised themselves by how upset um they felt right. on learning the news and they've sort of discovered how much she means to them now that she's gone um i mean you know it, it, it's a, it's an oft quoted fact rob that um uh, she she that the thing british people dream about most often is the queen mm. Yeah. Um, and I think she has kind of, you know, she has she does occupy this quite large space in the kind of collective unconscious of the nation. But it's only become apparent that, you know, how big a space she occupies now that she's we're, gone. We're, uh, Charlie, were, how, were you how, I, I, I just want to know how, how you felt. Were you? Um, well, I was peculiar. Moved? Were you? Did you did you get a little choked up? No, I didn't get choked up. And I, I, I have two feelings, I suppose. One is vicariously through my parents who have never known another queen and therefore another Briton, and they were profoundly affected. I wouldn't say they were weeping into their beer, but 
I mean, my mother said to me before it happened a few months ago that it will just be absurd to her not to have the queen in place. I mean, she's on the postage stamp, she's on the money, she's on the mailboxes. My mother's middle name is Elizabeth because she was born just after the queen was crowned. Uh, and uh, were I you named that... after her? Were you named after her? No, oh, I'm named cool. after my grandfather. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, "Good lord, yeah. it's starting to get a little." <laughs> no, no. Um, and I suppose that relates to, to how I felt. And the best way I've tried to put this to Americans who know that I am, you know, a, a great lover of the revolutionary era, is that it feels a little bit to me as if someone has changed the flag. It's not that I'm. Mm. Uh, devastated. It's not that I'm uh, changed, and it's not that I, before Queen Elizabeth died, spent my days thinking about Queen Elizabeth. But she was omnipresent and had been there my whole life. And it's a little bit like you know, if tomorrow you woke up and they said, "Well, the flag, the the stripes are now green," and you would right. say, "Well, okay, I guess that doesn't profoundly change America, but all of the." Uh, houses down my street that have American flags, which is basically all of them, would suddenly be different. The, 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 the symbols of right. the country would have been altered. So well, that's how ha, I feel. Have, uh, so have you, or, or Toby, have you ever dreamt of the Queen? I haven't. I have, yeah. What was she doing? You're about <laughs> once a week, bro. <laughs> <laughs> she's usually, you know, she's usually kind of confiding in me or comforting me or sharing a cup of tea with me um, or showing me her dogs. Um, mm. Or sometimes, yeah, I mean, it's it's not, it's, it's usually, usually very respectable, dignified, you know, um, PG <laughs> dreams about the Queen. You know, no, that's get any that's very sweet. I can see the, I can see the problem. Uh, I, I, I have one, I know James wants to jump in. I have one crass question. So what happens now is there's a big, big funeral. And then, I guess, I don't know how many months before a coronation, and then there's a respectable break for I don't know how many months before there's, the, I guess, the the investiture of William as Prince of Wales. I mean, we're looking at at least a year and a half of big, big British events where that golden carriage gets, you know, trotted out and people line the, the, the mall. And that's kind of what Britain does best, right? I mean, is this a, I mean, I hate, I'm not, I'm not, is this a bullish sign? I mean, that there's going to be three big, noisy, glittery events in London and Great Britain for the next, I don't know, year and a half, perhaps? I think, I think, um, uh, I, I mean, one, one, one thing is that that will probably help the incumbent conservative government. Um, uh, all that kind of pomp and ceremony right. um uh, is is you know a, it, it resurrects a kind of love of tradition and history and heritage and continuity you know the, it, it arouses conservative feelings in the breasts of the british people uh, so i would and it also distracts them from you know the the, the day-to-day problems the government is likely to um encounter um now that britain is in a fairly parlous state you know inflation's the highest it's been in 40 years gdp for the first time in 60 years is more than uh, sorry our, our debt is more than 100 percent of gdp and we're about to go into recession energy prices are out of control we're in a cost of living crisis and so on and so forth so the new prime minister who was i think queen elizabeth ii's 15th prime minister um who she only um you know um uh appointed uh three days i think two days before she died um she's gonna have her work cut out and i imagine you know for her you know this is actually a great boon there'll be a couple of things uh first of all charles you mentioned i mean he's he's 73 so he's obviously not going to have a reign as long as elizabeth you were talking about the way he's going to bring his predecessor into the organization and involve him more do you think he's going to be seen as a transitional figure that everybody's got his age baked into this well I think people, um, uh, lots of people are thinking, well, can't we just skip a generation and go straight to William? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, but evidently we can't. Um, uh, and 
I'm not sure. It might, it might be, you know, too cruel to say people are, are hoping it won't last very long. Um, but, um, uh, you know, and, and, his, his, and that might be a forlorn hope because um, both his parents lived to a ripe old age. So he may be on the throne for another 20 years. Um, uh, and I don't think, you know, it, it's possible he could kind of... Uh, step back a bit you know when he gets older and hand over more to William and he'll probably do that but he can't literally resign and hand over the job to William right. the only way he can do that is by dying no he can abdicate right so, he could take the Benedict option couldn't he well yeah I don't think he's going to do that those of us here in the States have been seeing him from afar through various lenses, most people through his marriage to Diana. But I, there's a couple of things that I've always found interesting about him. One, he's a painter. Sony Records a few years ago, put out 20 years ago, 30, put out a collection of Sony classical records, all of which had a different watercolor. And they were meretricious to the extreme by, by, by the now king, which was interesting. And he's also known for his feelings on architecture, which have earned him the ire of the modernists who believe that he's stuck in the past. So that stuff is interesting. And I would like to hear more about the traditions of England, especially the visual traditions. On the other hand, there's always been a curious Islamophilia about uh, about Charles. Could you talk a little bit about that and whether or not you actually wouldn't be surprised to find some elements of Islam, either uh, doctrinal or musical, find their way into the coronation ceremony? <laughs> I don't know if they'll find their way into the coronation ceremony. There may be some, you know, um, Muslim um, potentates at the coronation. Um, but um, I think I think the um, one one worry is that um, Prince Charles's big issue is climate change. He's he's very much behind the net zero agenda, um, and. Uh, until now, that's been um, a fairly politically uncontentious issue because it's had cross-party support. But Liz Truss, our new Prime Minister, uh, seems to be departing a little bit from that consensus. There's now a review to see whether we should pause net zero. Um, she's announced uh, she's going to lift the ban on fracking for shale gas. And with the energy crisis approaching um, and energy bills rising, obviously net zero becomes more politically contentious. So the test for Charles is going to be, can he dial down his support for those policies now that they've become politically quite contentious um, when he ascends to the throne? Because if he can't, then he risks being sucked into the kind of argy-bargy of politics, which is never great for the monarchy. No, I imagine not. It doesn't wear well. Speaking of things that wear well, yeah, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? Well, there are some things that do. Some things that the longer you have them, the better they get. You know, a good leather jacket, a cast iron skillet you have, some solid wood furniture. The more you use it, the better it gets, the more comfortable, the more familiar. Would you ever think that sheets would be like that? And you say, yes, James, I would, because I've heard this show before and I know what you're talking about. And if you're lucky, you know what I'm talking about because you have them bowl and branch sheets. They're not just buttery, breathable, and impossibly comfortable. No, they get better with every wash. Forget your thread count. Eh, bowl and branch gives you thread quality. doesn't matter how many threads you have if they're not the best threads possible. So once again, I say, as I said the previous week, the sheets, having been washed, are better than they were. I don't know if they're on some molecular level, they self-repair like, you know, like a, or, you know, some miracle part of the body or something like that, but they do. The metamorphosis is over time. It's not like week to week. It's like, wow, I just washed the sheets. Now they're 48% more comfortable. No, but it's just the longer you use them, the better they get. I have the signature Hemda sheets from Bowling Branch. They're a bestseller for a reason. You will immediately feel the difference. From, from there, the sheets just get softer and softer with every wash, and they feel buttery to the touch, and they're super breathable, too, so they're perfect for every season. I'm heading into the hot, you know, away from the hot, into the indoor heat season. You know, they're better no matter what. They're made with threads so luxurious. They're beloved by three U.S. presidents, and I wouldn't be surprised if there was a queen in there as well. And if presidents can't convince you, check out their more than 10,000 stellar reviews. Plus, Bowling Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping and free returns on all orders. I bet they get absolutely zero returns because people use them. People love them. You will, too. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use the promo code RICOCHET at BowlingBranch.com. That's Bowling Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. Promo code RICOCHET. And we thank Bowling Branch for sponsoring this, the RICOCHET Podcast.
Uh, but William, where does he stand on these issues as well? I mean, is it going to be handing off the baton to somebody who's more vital and can represent a new youthful Britain, but essentially has a, a lot of the same old progressive policies that, uh, that, 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 that may fill the heart of Charles? Do we know? William is... Um, uh a sort of environmental activist as well. I mean, he doesn't actually, you know, lie down in the middle of the M25 <laughs> to stop lorries driving past. But um, he's he also seems to have, uh, he seems to be quite keen on net zero. Mental health is his other big issue. Um, and not just since Megan joined the family. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I, I, I hope that he'll dial down his enthusiasm for... Um, environmental environmentalism like his father now that uh, you know he, he's playing a more prominent role i mean i think the tricky thing is they want they want to find an issue that they can get stuck into and make their own and not just seem like you know completely shallow superficial figureheads um they want to kind of be taken seriously so they want to you know um be able to sound off about an important global issue and they choked they landed on climate change because they thought there was cross-party consensus about that completely uncontroversial everyone's concerned about climate change everyone thinks net zero is a good idea and now that that consensus is beginning to crumble they're either going to have to you know find another issue or shut up well shutting up would be a good idea for them don't you think i mean i do of the subjects of the crown on this podcast i mean shutting up is almost never a bad idea certainly if you're no and the the, the queen chose as her obsession horses which really are uncontroversial <laughs> there's no anti-horse movement in the uk that she could have got on the wrong side of the use of the cavalry and colonialism was one of the ways in which the British <laughs> yeah, the Empire of the imposed its will and destroyed local right. initiative. Well, so, what do you think? I mean, Charlie from here and Toby from there. What do you do? You think Britain's going to look different in a year or two? I mean, besides this, aside from the stamps and the currency and the 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 adjustment people are going to have to make, like it's a new year to the new year on their checks of just saying, you know, God save the king. And you know King's Council and on His Majesty's his you know, all that stuff. Um, you think it's going to be different now that that sort of lodestar North Star is gone? I think I think the country may feel a little more vulnerable um, for the reasons I set out earlier, um, and may be attacked more frequently for being colonialist, um, a relic of a bygone era. Uh, there may be more pressure to break up the Commonwealth and the Union. Um, uh, and our institutions will feel that much more vulnerable, I think, um, particularly those with royal patronage. But I, I do think um, that the monarchy will endure. I mean, there are such good arguments for the monarchy. Um, you know, it provides a degree of continuity between different regimes different administrations um it, it it it's a great it's great for the tourist trade um when people talk about abolishing the monarchy or stripping down the monarchy they talk in a kind of socialist way imagining that the assets of the royal family belong to the nation and could be right. kind of taken away from the royal family but actually they don't they belong to the royal family i mean they're I not going to just we don't get the palaces or the crown jewels if we abolish the monarchy they get to keep <laughs> their theirs uh, people don't quite grasp that sometimes but i think really Really importantly, I did. I did once uh, have an argument with a uh, British friend of mine who's very royalist, and I said, "Well, shouldn't she pay taxes?" And he responded very angrily, "To whom should she pay it? It's Her Majesty's government." And I thought, oh, "Okay, well, that's a bit of a trick." But okay, <laughs> she does pay taxes. She does actually. She now she now does pay taxes. Yeah, she does pay some tax. But I think I think just just to finish up, I think one of the strongest arguments for the monarchy is um, that it creates um, within British public life um, a kind of a political space um, uh, which is very important and one of the shortcomings of America for all its great strengths is that so much of American public life is politicized there doesn't seem to be much uh, much space right. in right. the public realm which is free of political conflict um, whereas you know when politicians, when, when you're prime ministers, they swear fealty to the queen, their civil servants swear an oath to the queen, as do the police, our armed forces. It, it, it's something, it, it sort of preserves right. this um, space in our public life, which is free of political conflict. And that's very important, I think, if we can, to, to try and keep going. I, I, I'm always struck, though, when, it, when, when 
when subjects of the crown uh, talk about, you know, sort of monarchists like you two talk about the queen, this is very respectful. And I'm sort of, you know, you look at the pictures this morning of the sort of the gatherings outside of Buckingham Palace. It's extremely reverential. Right? She clearly was a beloved figure. But the British sense of humor and culture is remarkably brutal. I mean, there's the brutality to the way the British have talked about um, the royal family is something that we, we don't even do about our presidents here. That just there's a kind of another side to it. I mean, I was just thinking about the, the British show, The Windsors, which is a, a, it's this incredibly brutal, profane attack on the royal family. And it, um, it somehow never, the Queen never appeared in The Windsors. She was always just off, off stage somewhere, off screen. But do you think that's going to change, or at least for the next, while, while the feelings are a little bit raw for the next year or so? Because the, nobody's meaner and tougher on the royal family than her subjects. Well, funnily enough, Rob, I think that's why a monarchy works in Britain. And this is not a new insight, but the propensity toward humor and gallows humor often renders the chances of a dictatorship in Britain really slim. You're just too funny. It's too ironic yeah. <laughs> a culture. It's too ironic a culture and people who behave like that are laughed at. I mean, one of the great literary examples of this is Roderick Spode and P.G. Woodhouse, who was based on Oswald Mosley. People did laugh at Mosley in the streets. Uh, and Roderick Spode is a figure of fun because, although uh, the, the real one was not, of course, funny at all, you know, Hitler, had he spoken English, would have sounded utterly ridiculous. And I think the, the upshot of that is that it's quite easy for British people to coexist with a monarchy, which is, in some senses, a ludicrous idea in the modern right. world because of that sense uh, of irony. And I don't think that that is likely to change. I mean, notwithstanding you know, comedy skits about the Queen's sex life, uh, certainly my British friends are absolutely willing to laugh and joke about the monarchy because they don't really see doing so as undermining it. Uh, it's self-deprecation on a national level. And I, I suspect that Charles, if he plays his cards right, will benefit from that because he is a figure of fun in some ways. But if it looks at all that he's in on the joke or that he's above it, then I don't see a problem. What do you think, Toby? Yeah, I, I think I think that um, there is something very irrational about the monarchy, and it doesn't seem to make much sense, you know, in a modern liberal democracy for the head of state um, to be um, an inherited office. Um, and for the for, 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 for the monarch to have even, you know, um, uh, passive powers, as our monarch does, um, seems absurd. What is the democratic legitimacy for, for, for possessing those powers? But it's the very irrationality of the institution, the fact that it is so out of step with modern times that makes it so romantically appealing. And it makes it so eccentric and makes Britain unique. And the idea of turning Britain into a kind of modern republic um, in which all power flows from the demos and tradition and ceremony and pomp is diminished or put in its place um, that's not very appealing I mean why why turn Britain into you know um, a second-rate republic when it can be a second-rate monarchy <laughs> <laughs> well I mean I guess the because it makes <laughs> the argument is I, I, I think I'm not I'm not, I'm not making your argument for you but there, there's a the idea of a queen or a king is sort of this you know wise person that has a political function which the, gives the prime minister all sorts of um, advice uh, constitutionally is required to um but also kind of represents the british character in some way right that that for all of like the you know the, the pomp and circumstances being of the english monarch um they were kind of low-key right i mean they they sort of they weren't even the grandest aristocrats is that fair to say and they 
I mean, she drove herself, and yeah, that is, you know, they kind of they had this ridiculous, yeah. these ridiculous uh, Christmas traditions, and they they liked it. The the the, the kind of the most crass kind of humor that was kind of what they laughed about, you know, bodily functions and etc. They didn't. I mean, the interior of Trump Tower is a lot more gilded and polished and shiny than the interior of. No, well, I think you're confusing two ideas here. I think that the the British royal family has assiduously avoided becoming like some of the modern royal families you see on the continent, where they take the subway, bicycle monarch, cycle around the street, and so forth. Um, I think what uh, you're mistaking here is the British aristocracy's penchant for understatement with uh humility (laughs) and well no because i mean it was funny i'm not an aristocrat but um i had this sweater when i was at university and it got a hole in it and i thought well i don't really want to buy a new sweater so i just kept wearing it and this girl came up to me and she said well you must be an aristocrat because you've got a hole in your sweater and uh it's actually a very instructive question because uh the the queen is not going to do out her palaces like the inside of Trump Tower, right? She's going to have Wellington boots and barber jackets, and um, she's going to keep it traditional. But um, that does not mean that there is no space between where she and her family are and where the sort of average middle-class <laughs> Brit is. That's, that's <laughs> an astonishing amount. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, I think maybe that's a cultural cultural difference. I, I think one of the appealing things about um, an aristocratic, hereditary head of state is that it's a reminder that luck plays a hugely important part in how well you fare in life, how much you possess the kind of life you live. Um, people who make the argument for a more rational democratic system seem to imagine that if they do that they'll remove the element of luck and britain will become a much more meritocratic fairer society because this symbol Mm -hmm. is a symbol of something so unfair but life is unfair luck does play a huge part will never be a perfect meritocracy and one of the attractive things about an aristocratic uh, hereditary head of state is that they they're aware of that and so they do their best to try and compensate for it either by being as unostentatious as possible, preserving what remains of Sunday lunch in Tupperware and putting it in the fridge as the Queen is apparently wont to do, doing her own washing up, um, but also sort of that sense of noblesse oblige, of having to perform public duties and re- revering public service, because you have to do something to show that you deserve your incredible good fortune. Mm-hmm. And the, one of the shortcomings of America when I lived in America in the late 90s was all these people, you know, uh, who'd been born on third were convinced they'd hit a triple. They thought their unbelievable good fortune was entirely deserved because they imagined, quite wrongly, that America was this meritocratic society. And so if they had all this amazing wealth and power, they thoroughly deserved it. Whereas they didn't. But in Britain, I think people who are rich and powerful perhaps are more aware of that because of our hereditary head of state. It's also rational to keep what works. And there's a small-c conservative case for the monarchy on that basis. Uh, if you look at uh, the institution from the perspective of, say, a French revolutionary, it's hard to argue for, uh, but it has survived, and uh, there is virtue in that. And even the American Revolution uh, understood the importance of tradition. I mean, the the, the founders, uh, for a start, they they weren't particularly strongly anti-monarchy; they were anti-George III, and. Uh, Second, th- their ideal form of government um, was the parliamentary system that had been created by the Glorious Revolution, mm-hmm. where there is this balance. And that's, of course, why they include a president in the constitutional order, uh, because they want that executive. They just want uh, parliament to be uh, supreme, although not, ironically enough, as supreme as the British parliament now is. Um, you know, and the, the difference there is between a revolution that is grateful for um, 
its ancestry and a revolution such as the one in France that just wants to sweep it all away. Um, so, you know, even the difference between Britain and America, I, I think, can be overstated uh, in this regard. I like all the jokes, too. I, of course, July 4th, I live here, I get them all. And because I'm <laughs> such a uh, partisan of the revolution and, and that era and our system here, then I uh, sometimes elicit strange looks when I, when I defend the monarchy. But um, it, it is not rational to take a system that has worked for centuries and of which the vast majority of the British people are fond and get rid of it. <laughs> that's not a rational thing to do. And that's one reason why even the Labour Party, even the British left has moved from, in the space of 50 years, a position in which a, a good number of uh, you know its prominent members were Republicans to a position in which that is rare. Um, yeah, it's not it, in the platform. Yeah. Another example of that, Charlie, is that um, whenever the SNP in Scotland have agitated for Scottish independence, um, um, uh, becoming independent of the Queen has never been part of the argument. They've always maintained that the Queen could still be the Queen of an independent Scotland. Right. Um, they could somehow break away but remain part of her dominion. Perhaps by becoming members of the Commonwealth, who knows? Yeah. But uh, <laughs> they, they know that it would be unpopular. The Queen, even amongst people who support Scottish independence, is was, was a very popular figure. Toby, um, when an old person who's famous dies, it's they take with them one of the last few remaining connections that we have to an era. When Clint Eastwood dies, we're going to have a you know big national sorrow that will encompass the sixties, the westerns, the the look, the, the, the masculinity that he embodied. That will seem less accessible to us today. Um, of course, with the Queen going, it's one less link to the finest hour and the rest of it. Just as you know, Russia, as we learn, has this preposterous narrative that they have of the great patriotic war the mirror image of that would seem to be the british response to it which is which is generally genuine and accurate heartfelt and part of the national psyche or is it is is that sense is that part of england that she seemed to represent so well and carry into the 21st century for so long still have great cultural cultural re resonance or is it becoming less and less and lost to generations subsequent well, yeah, I mean, one of the interesting things about her is that she was one of the last public figures in British life who had actually served during the Second World War and the last of that generation. Um, I think uh, I think one of the one of the things I'm concerned about is that what the Queen embodied, which was a sense of duty, of public service, of patriotism those used to be that used to be um the sense that what gave people in public life who weren't directly involved in politics um a sense of meaning and purpose you know they were they were serving the public they were custodians of our heritage um that 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 ethic i fear will die with her i mean it, it was already withering on the vine and had been replaced by you know equity diversity and inclusion as the what gave people in public life outside politics a sense of mission and purpose and i worry that um that uh, that part of our culture and our national life will die with her well, we trust people like you to keep it keep it going, to remind us what we need to be reminded of, Toby. It may all fall on your shoulders. So, uh oh. <laughs> so again, it's doomed in that case. Yeah, we're, we're <laughs> no England's in good hands. Toby Young, thank you for joining us today. And uh, regards to Blighty, and uh, talk to you again down the road. And by the way, everybody, listen to the podcast here in the Ricochet Network, and uh, that'll do. Thank you, sir. Thanks, James. Thanks, Toby. At least we don't have it, it. You know, it's been a long time since the British have had a you know a proper revolution, right? I mean, what was said is that the uh, the tree of liberty must be refreshed by the blood of patriots and the rest of it. Well, that doesn't seem to be what is going on in Britain at the time. But you, in your backyard, if you got a tree, you're probably not refreshing <laughs> it with blood. Um, I'm guessing. Nice, right? 
even if it's some, you know, thing that has in its Latin name, you know, Arborus Liberatus or something like that. No, you, you give it, as you give it water, the rest of it, you may think it's a little late for trees, isn't it? No, 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 it's prime, prime planting season. And I know that I've always wanted to take my entire backyard and just plant nothing but trees, like 50 of them. Why do I have to have a yard when I could have a forest? Yeah, I'd have to wait too long for it to grow. No, not if you get your trees from fast-growing trees. I don't know about you. I spend a lot of time you know, making the house feel like a home. And my wife, she's out there with the shears. She's pruning. She's doing all the rest of it. And we have a lot of trees. But we need more. You always need more. Something's always dying. Something falls over in a storm. You need more trees. And that's why you go to fastgrowingtrees.com. The experts at Fast Growing Trees curate thousands of plants so you can find the perfect fit for your specific climate, your location, your needs. Call them up. Tell them, hey, I'm in the middle of Minnesota. What do you got? And they'll say, you need this. You don't have to drive around in nurseries and big gardening centers. No, Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped to your door in one to two days. Now, whether you're looking to add some privacy or some shade or some natural beauty to your yard, Fast Growing Trees has in-house experts ready to help you make the right selection with growing and care advice available 24-7. I'm here to tell you that I've had a few trees die on me. The one from Fast Growing Trees, hardy, thriving growing and soon to spread even more shade in the backyard. And the cool thing of it is when you get it, you don't have a trunk full of dirt. I know that sounds petty and small, but it's true. You don't have to vacuum out your trunk from bringing home the tree. It comes right to your door. Even if you've never had a green thumb, frankly, they'll make you feel like you do. Just over 1 million happy, fast-growing tree customers across the country feel that way now. And plus, with their 30-day alive and thrive guarantee, you can find you, you, know, you can trust everything will be healthy for years to come. So go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash ricochet and you'll get 15% off your entire order now through October. October 15th. Get 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash ricochet. Fastgrowingtrees.com slash ricochet. And we thank Fast Growing Trees for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. Speaking of Ricochet, uh, Rob is here to tell you about a few things that are coming up. Yeah. And then, of course, we're going to talk to Charlie a little bit. Be, being in Florida, um, we're hearing more about the Death Santa's fascist authoritarian jackboot regime uh, doing things, and we, we, we need to know if he's okay. But first, Rob, <laughs> tell us what's coming up. <laughs> If you are a Ricochet member, you'll know all about this. And if you're not a Ricochet member, all you have to do is go to ricochet.com and join, and you can come to the Texas Tribune Festival. Uh, that program is coming soon. Texas' breakout politics and policy ideas event is happening September 22 and 24 in Austin. With a lineup full of big names you know and others you should, including one of our own from the Ricochet Network, catch David Drucker as he interviews Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin and Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson live on the TribFest stage on September 23rd. Kind of like a mini Get ready for 2024, it sounds like. Explore the full program. Grab tickets at tribfest.org, tribfest, all one word, .org. If you'd like to attend the event, use our special discount code for a one-time 15% off discount for one general admission ticket. Go to tribfest.org, enter code RICOCHET15 in the promo code box at the bottom of the registration widget and click apply, and we will see you there. Also, if you're a member, there are meetups. We're coming back strong. Ricochet meetup schedule is hard to keep up with, so you got to go to the uh, site, ricochet.com slash events. Um, keep an eye out for what's coming up. Uh, upcoming meetups right now on the official schedule will be happening in Williamsburg, Virginia and Huntsville, Alabama. That's happening in October. And we got one set for New Orleans next year during French Quarter Fest, which is going to be a lot of, a lot of fun. Um, if you're not in the Southeast and those dates don't work for you, just join Ricochet. Give us a place in time, and the Ricochet members will come to you. It's part of the fun of being a member. Again, for details on both Texas Tribune Festival and the Ricochet meetups, go to uh, ricochet.com slash events, or find the module in the sidebar on the site, and we will see you IRL very soon. They may come to you. I'm tempted to start one in a ice house somewhere in <laughs> January and just see who shows up. Probably. Get I know, where are you going to find one of those in Minnesota? Yeah, well, you go to Lake Millac, and there's Any entire houses? cities that that pop up. There's streets, there's signs, there's wonderful houses with uh, with satellite dishes all sitting on the ice, with corners with, with the corners in the ice drilled in all the the corners of the place, which seems structurally unwise. But uh, they usually don't fall in usually until the ice gets a little on your slushy side. I've driven out in a pickup truck on the ice to one of these houses, which is which is really quite remarkable. I mean, you walk into the house and it's hot. It's like you built a house on the ice. And then you heat it 
and you're not worried about ending up in the drink. Nobody is. They know what they're doing. Charles, you're in Florida. Um, we saw a, we saw an ad uh, that uh, should probably go nationwide. I found it interesting. It's a bunch of people thanking Ron DeSantis for this, that, and the other, thanking him. You know the ad of which I speak, and in how do you do you see this as a sort of go forward, a sunny tone of competence and uh, freedom that uh, might be testing the waters to rule something like this out beyond the, the uh, beyond the borders of your state. Well, I liked the ad, and that surprised me, because although uh, I like most of what DeSantis has done, uh, I haven't usually liked his ads. The Build the Wall ad he ran during the primary I thought was grotesque. The Top Gun ad wasn't grotesque, but it was it left me cold. And on top of that, I really dislike ads full of people thanking politicians because usually what they're saying is, thank you so much for stealing other people's property mm-hmm, and giving right. it to me. <laughs> or thank you so much <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sending men with guns to places that I like or dislike and forcing them or encouraging them to behave in the way that I would like them to behave. But actually, <laughs> in the case of this ad, the vast majority of the people saying thank you were saying thank you for not mm-hmm. Being a tyrant. Yes. (laughs) Thank you for not allowing others who have bayonets to be tyrants. Uh, And I think it's a great message. It was was one of the best things about living in Florida during the the lockdowns was that our lockdowns were short-lived and limited in scope uh, and driven by a rational evaluation of the trade-offs in question. And people should be thanking the government for that, uh, because the alternative was New York. Mm-hmm. So I well, like this ad a lot. I think it's a really good way of reminding people, both in Florida and elsewhere, that the government of Florida largely got COVID right, uh, and that if we had had a Democratic governor in Florida in 2018, and we nearly did, Andrew Gillum came pretty close to winning that election, uh, then things would have been very different. Florida has not suffered the economic deprivation nor the urban violence that we saw in the Northeast in cities like Washington, D.C., which, of course, in 2020 was just a hellhole of flames right outside the White House. A justifiable anger, mind you, but of course, uh, still unrest. And we all saw it on television. Now, however, uh, there's a real public emergency in D.C. The D.C. mayor has declared a public urgency because migrants are arriving on buses it's a it's a baffling story how they got there in the first place but i I believe rob that you're interested in this tale yeah i just love it because it just it 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 just shows the tone deafness of the politicians who are not on the border i mean to talk about mayor bowser's not talking about a border crisis and what are we going to do with all these people uh and saying things that you know if she was wearing, we're wearing a MAGA hat, the same words would be reported in a very different way. Um, so, it, although it's, you know, it's a, it's kind of theatrical mischief that the governor is kind playing, of. the governor, yeah, <laughs> kind the, of. Governor Abbott is playing, but, but you, but it, 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 Abbott and Ducey both are on the front lines and they, they are uh, acting in the interests of their citizens and saying, we are, we are bearing the brunt of this unfairly. And uh, the federal, this is what the federal government is supposed to do. If it's not going to do it, we're going to do something ourselves um, and spread the spread the trouble around. And for that, I think whenever you can get your opponents to say exactly what you've been saying w- w- with shock and outrage, uh, I think it's a win. Um, and 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 also just incidentally hilarious. I mean, it is fun to hear these Democratic politicians saying things like, we've got to do something about the border. This is crazy. Um, so I've been enjoying it. It's not just that they're saying exactly the same things as have been said to no avail in the border states. It's that they're saying them in contexts that are so profoundly different as to make what has been said in the border towns seem much more important. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous <laughs> to hear the mayor of New York City, yeah. which has, what, 8 million people in it, saying, boy, they've sent us 7,000 people. This is really going to stretch our budget. What are we do? How could we possibly yeah. house these people? Meanwhile, there are border towns that get 10,000 people a day that have 20,000 people to start with. So, you know, if you want to make the point that this 
crisis at the border is a drain on resources and makes it difficult to run a city like New York. What on earth do you think is happening down there? New York budget is $101 billion. That is, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think you, that's you could, bigger than the state of Florida's budget. I think so. But it is so carefully calibrated and so wisely apportioned. <laughs> there's absolutely no room for error. I know, we're loving our services here. Yeah, indeed. I know you're right. It is. It is a delight to see, and you hate to say delight when you're playing with a you know human's lives here because people. Yeah, but it is voluntary. Are, that's true. They did volunteer to come across the border, and there they are. No, I mean they're being moved voluntarily. They're not yeah. being picked up, shackled, and put in the back of an aircraft carrier. You know, they're they're put on a bus and asked if they want to go. And actually, it sort of helps them too because it's easier to escape the further you get into the country. I I, uh, I did hear this. I don't know. It's an apocryphal story. I know we have to wrap, but this is just just uh, I, I I couldn't track it down. But it's too good to check, as we say. That um, some people on one of the buses heading to New York City uh, demanded that the bus stop short of New York City. They didn't want to go to New York City because they'd heard there was so much crime there, <laughs> which is is sort of a perfect story. It'd be better if they were from Sinaloa or you know some some place that's been racked by this sort of stuff. There, it's like, you know, that's uh, right. Well, um, we are ending, and we are ending for a very good reason because uh, you know we could sit here and ramble on forever and ever. We could talk until Peter Robinson comes back, which I presume he will at some point. But it's been great to have Charles with us. It's been great to have you. It's been great to have Boland Branch policy genius and fast growing trees with us as well support them you support us and you make your life immeasurably better and if you could just take a minute to give that five-star review at apple podcast we'd really appreciate it that's only the 608th time that i think that i've said that i i'm 610 is going to be the charm <laughs> uh, thanks for everybody for listening rob charles we'll see you everybody in the comments at ricochet 4.0 next week next week fellas ricochet <laughs> Join the conversation.